5, you figure out that at the end of Ephesians 5, <clears throat> Paul reminds us that, that, that Adam and Eve were made male and female, and he designed marriage on the earth as a picture. Now think about the eternal God as a picture of Christ in the church. So Adam and Eve were a picture of God's church 4,000 years before the church was ever born. Isn't that interesting? But yet all the saints that are saved by the power of Christ in Revelation chapter 19 are going to gather for an event called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's why the Bible calls Christ the bridegroom and calls those of us that believe in Jesus the, the very bride of Christ. Before I, There's three different passages in the book of Revelation that deal with what is known as the battle of Armageddon. So the, after, the, after Revelation chapter 19 verses 1 through 10 in the marriage supper of the Lamb where, where we're, we're granted to be arrayed in fine linen but then somehow or another we're able to adorn our fine linen even with greater works or beauty based on our obedience on this earth. You can read that. We dealt with that two weeks ago. Then you come to verse 11 of chapter 19 where we're introduced to an event that just about anybody in the world, even if they don't know Christ, they don't know anything much about the Bible, they've heard this, <clears throat> this phrase, the battle of Armageddon or Armageddon. They've heard of Armageddon. And it's, the, it's in most people's minds, it is the, the, the final act of history as we know it. When Christ returns, literally, you know, there's another coming in the air, but this time Christ comes to the earth and he subdues the nations. And this is when he comes and defeats the enemies. He separates the sheep from the goats, so to speak. And he establishes an eternal kingdom. But it's this one big battle, which is not much of a battle, is known as the Battle of Armageddon. Before I do that, I, I, Paul was, you know, when Paul wrote 2 Timothy, and you don't have to turn there, I, I do that to you a lot, but you know, you can stay right where you are, but uh, Paul wrote about the end of life. He knew he was going to be martyred when he's getting to the end of 2 Timothy. So in chapter 4, he uses a word uh, for, I'm fixing to be poured out as an offering. He uses a word for worship, that he's, uh, he's fixing to be executed, and uh, by the way, him and, you know, uh, Nero had both he and Peter executed. But anyway, but he, in verse 7, he says this. He says, there is laid up for me. And listen to God's word. You know, we all could die tomorrow or Jesus could come back and rapture the church right now. But we're ready to meet him. We're going to meet him. So Paul knows he's fixing to leave this world. And by the way, up to that time, he really believed the rapture was going to happen in his lifetime. Because every time he mentioned the catching away of the saints, he said, and we, and we will be called up, and we, and we, and we. So he says, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge. Folks, Jesus Christ is our righteous judge. Paul dealt with that in 1 Corinthians when he talked about building on the foundation with wood, hay, and stubble or gold, silver, and precious stones. You know, we're going to be judged. But Christ is the right. So this is what he says. There's a laid a foundation. 
there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. That the Lord will award me on that day. On that day is talking about when he sees Christ face to face. And this is known in the earlier scriptures as the judgment seat of Christ. That's the event that Paul's really referring to because on that day at the judgment seat we will be rewarded for the things done in the flesh. They will be burned up for the things done for the glory of God will be rewarded. And that goes back to the first part of Revelation 19 where we adorn our, our, our arraignment. It's interesting what, what we're able to do. But right before Paul writes that, he says, and this is, this is just the world that we're living in, even though I'm talking about the battle of Armageddon and, and God's coming to pour his wrath out on the world, he's going to defeat his enemies. I'm going to give you five or six reasons why the battle of Armageddon has to take place in just a minute. This is what Paul says about his life. And I'm challenging me and you. You know, we, we've, been, we've been in this stupor for 18 months. So really, almost two years, we've been in this spiritual stupor. Um, just apathy. And I'm not being ugly to you. I mean, you're here. But you know what I'm talking about. You look at our crowd this morning. The apathy still applies. A lot of people are here just because they don't want to be here. And, or they've developed the habit of not coming. We, we know that. We know human nature. We're all sinners. But listen to what Paul says about there's laid up for me. This is what he says right before that. And think about your own lives. I have fought the good fight. This is a good preaching outline because there's F's. There's three F's. So he is, says, I fought the good fight. So there are some, some things worth fighting for. Amen? There are. There really are. Uh, and I think even now, as our, our church government, you know, and, and, and anybody thinking about our, our national government, and, and, and we, we, I want you to know that we believe in the proclamation of God's word. We don't believe... We believe in the proclamation of God's word above protest. But living in an unrighteous world and being grieved, sometimes we have to make public statements about the immorality that we have to protest what's going on. But he says, I fought the good fight. Most of us fight about things that don't matter. Paul was fighting about the authority of God's word and the work of Christ and the glory of the church, the work of the church. So we fought the good fight. What are you fighting for? You have to think about that. This word agonize this is the root word agonize. What do you, what do you agonize about? You know what in the arena of faith um, is the work of Christ? Is the word of Christ? Is His lordship? Is the church? Is righteousness? Is is that your concern? So he says, I fought the good fight. And then he says something that he said before in the book of Acts. I finished my course. That's a profound statement. So right before death, Paul was able to say the very things that God's called me for, I finished it. And people, a lot of people begin things. You know, we always talk about finishing well. Sometimes at funerals of elders, we're able to say about those elder saints that they have finished well. They just didn't start well. They, well, Paul said he finished the course. And very definitive there that implying that all of us have a course. God has a sovereign course through your life of obedience that He wants you to fulfill. 
And so you have to ask yourself, am I even on the right course? Am I, am I obeying the word? Am I committed to the local church? Because right in the middle of that course has to be the local church. And then he says, I kept the faith. That's the end of the F's. Fight, finish, faith. I've kept the faith. And that, that obviously would be probably doctrine, uh, uh, you know, teachings and doctrines. And that's when he's able to say, now there's laid up for me this crown of righteousness. That can be you. That should be you. That should be me. And Paul tells Timothy all through First and Second Timothy that he ought to be mimicking his life. Timothy ought to be mimicking Paul's life. We'll go back to Revelation. I just, that was on my mind primarily because of where I taught this morning in Sunday school. But I'm in Revelation 19, but before we read Revelation 19, let's start in somewhat chronological order. So go, there's, and this is going to be lengthy reading, but that's okay. We, we've got an hour. Um, I get extra time when I miss, don't I? Okay. Yeah. I mean, whatever. <laughs> You're going to do whatever you want to do. So, okay, look at, I'm in chapter 14. I'm sorry, go to Revelation 14, Revelation 16, and then we'll be back in Revelation 19. I just want you to get a grip on some of the things that are, that are happening when we come to this great battle. <clears throat> says, then I, this is uh, Revelation 14, 14. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud... And seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. By the way, these are a lot of phrases and quotes, even from the book of Zechariah and the book of Isaiah. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who, who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. This harvesting, I mean, pictures of harvest. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city. And of course, just can't imagine. We've all seen pictures of a winepress and People stomping on the grapes and crushing them and juice going up their legs and on their clothing. And, and you can get the, but it's not 
This is a picture of God's judgment. And it says, And the winepress was trodden outside the city, outside Jerusalem, not, not in the city. And blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. In the Battle of Armageddon, we call it Armageddon. It's, it's Har, technically, if you're reading it in the original language, Har-Megiddo, put together it's Har-Mageddon, and it, it means mountains and valleys. So, you're, so there's mountains, and so if there's mountains, there's the valley. So there's this long valley. This is the same area, just if you're thinking in biblical history, this is the very same area. Uh, it's a little north west. Well, not, it's a little west of the Sea of Galilee, obviously north of Jerusalem. But this is the same area where Deborah and Barak did battle. With uh, They had soldiers against the enemy had 900 uh, uh, iron chariots of iron is how it's defined in the Bible. In our day, it'd be armored t tanks, Abram tanks or something, armored, armored chariots. And so these foot soldiers for Israel, for for God's people, fought that, and they devastated. Them. So this same area, uh, Deborah, who was a judge, it's Judges four and five. If you wanted to read it, read it later. And then right after that, the same area is where Gideon takes his soldiers down from 32,000 down to 300. And God, and so you get the picture. It's about God's power through his people destroying the enemy. But when Jesus comes back in, in, Ar, in, in Harmageddon, uh, it's not, he's not going to need anybody's army, even though the angels and the saints will be with him. The Bible says he speaks his word, and it is done. It's interesting. Now I'll go to chapter 16. So you kind of get a picture of, of the angels describing this, this uh, grapes of wrath, so to speak, that, that God pours out on the earth uh, in judgment. I'm in chapter 16. Look at verse 12. The reason I read this is that I, I believe, okay, you know that, Armageddon happens because the nation of Israel is surrounded by the enemy and the, the goal of the Antichrist and really like it is today most of the that part of the world is to wipe Israel off the face of the earth now interesting enough now I just want you to think about this you know how and it's kind of a shock to, to the Bible says it would be this way, but it's a shock to see a good portion of American um, populate the American population, a good percentage of it loathes Christianity, hates it. These progressives and liberals, I mean, they're not just politically liberal, they just loathe any sense of eternal truth. And it's more so now than it's ever been. But you got to think during the tribulation, those seven years, the witness to the world are all going to be Jews. You know, all the saved people are gone. So you have 144,000 witnesses. 
who were going to preach for the six or seven years. And then you had the two great witnesses who could perform miracles who were killed in the middle of the tribulation, but who tormented unrighteous people. And then you have the angels flying around. And so, so the world who is controlled by the Antichrist will hate the message of the cross being preached by the Jews. So it's going to give the world even more reason to detest the Israelites. So that's why it's, these nations gather together. But it's God's plan. But let me pick up in verse 12 of chapter 16. The sixth angel poured out the, these, the last two of the bold judgments. I think these, are, these things are happening obviously towards, because we know the bold judgments are, there's three sets of judgments. I don't have to say it, but it's kind of hard not to want to repeat it. You have the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. And so the bold judgments, just from reading the text, you, it's, they're all happening. The bold judgments happening at the end of the tribulation. So they come at the end of the seven years. And there's likelihood that, that these are going to happen really close, as, as I see it, the sixth and the seventh, close to the battle of Armageddon. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river uh, Euphrates. That's uh, east, east of the Holy Land. And its water was dried up. Now, now why does that happen? Are you looking at your Bibles? Because who's in control of all this? Who's in control of what's happening now in the world? Christ is. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's Lord of everything. Well, he's telling us all this. Well, this was written 2,000 years before it was going to happen. But did, so the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up. And why? To prepare the way for the kings from the east. And you think if now if you're in the Middle East, Israel, and you go east, the world's greatest population, you know, and and so far east now it gives access to so from the east and and I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast that's the Satan the false the beast the anti so it's Satan is the dragon the beast is the antichrist and out of the mouth of the false prophet that's the false preacher Leads the false religion, telling everybody everything's fine. Coming out of their mouth, three unclean spirits like frogs. I mentioned this when I read this when we were going verse by verse through this several months ago. This is gives fuel to that. It gives fuel to the theology, and I'm not opposed to this. I, it's intriguing that in the demonic world there are demons that appear as reptilians. This kind of gives fuel to that, that encounter that some people have encounters with demons that appear as some kind of reptilian. It's, it's, it's here. It happened here. Okay. For they, are, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Now, what battle is that? The battle of Armageddon. Okay? 
So God's setting the stage for the world's armies to gather in the valley of Megiddo. It's not the only place he's going to do devastation, but the focus is, is in this, this valley where the bloodshed is mentioned. Okay, but he's going to do other things. Christ is going to do other things. He's going to defeat enemies all over the world. But, but the battle, the armies have gathered against the holy people. And they've already killed people. We'll see that in a minute. So it says, For the, the great day of God Almighty, behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Just being prepared. This kind of reminds you of the ten virgins. Five were prepared and five were not. We want to be ready. They want to be ready and clothed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called, you with me? Harmageddon. Okay. The seventh angel, keep reading. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. I don't like that because Satan's the prince of the power of the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake. A mega, a mega seismograph, okay? such as there had never been since man was on the earth. God would know that since he made man from the very beginning. So great was that earthquake, the great city was split in three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountain, no mountains were to be found, and great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God. They See, we're thin. they know, they've done this three times, it's the third time. They know where the judgment's coming from. They curse God for the plagues of the hell because the plague was so severe. Now, chapter 19. I know it's a lot of reading, but this is God's Word. We could do this for another 30 minutes and be so blessed. Chapter 19, verse 11. So this is after the, this is when, as John is given the revelation, he, he, sees the, he sees the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then he sees this, because, uh, you know, the saints are in heaven. I mean, you have to see even chronologically, and it's not a chronologically ordered book completely, so you can't argue from, argue from beginning to end. It's perfectly chronological. I just read some passages that kind of showed you that. But it does tell you that the church the bride of Christ is, is not on the earth when what's going on in, in these sealed... And right here, is, they're away, they're coming back. 
Then I saw in heaven in their coming. Then I saw heaven to open. So this is after we've celebrated the marriage supper of the Lamb. Towards the end of the seven years, right? By the way, <clears throat> Jewish weddings lasted a week. That's when the wedding, remember when the first miracle that Jesus performed was, was at a wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. And it was a social faux pas because uh, they, they ran out of wine way before the end of the, the celebration. And it was an embarrassment. And, and I love what, what Mary says. You know, of course, Jesus kind of challenged, you know, why am I going to do this now? She says to the servants, I don't know if you remember what she says. This is about, you know, wanting Jesus to, to do something about them not having wine. And so the servants come to him, and she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. I love that. And that's true for me and you, right? Do whatever he says. Whatever Jesus says, we do, or we should do. I love that. And, of course, they did, and then Jesus made water out of wine, we, we keep reading. What verse was I at? Just checking. <clears throat> then the one sitting, it says, and the one sitting on it is called, okay, behold, and sitting on a white horse, I'm open. The heaven was opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. This is not an angel, this is Jesus, Okay. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. Again, there it is. Paul said the same thing. John says, in righteousness he judges and makes war. Folks, there's no sin that we commit that's going to escape us. There's no apathy. There's no defiance. As a believer now, there's no disobedience. There's no apathy. That's going to escape his righteous judgments. You can't fake Christianity. You can't fake following Jesus. Oh, yeah, you can fake me and I can fake you. But that's not what I'm talking You can't, You can't commit some kind of spiritual fraud and think you're going to be rewarded for something you didn't earn. And you have to think that that's reality. Where, where are your righteous deeds? Where is your devotion? Where is your selling out for Christ? Where is your abandoning the world? Where is that? He's the righteous judge. If sinners, saved sinners can note other people's apathy, the speck and the log, but besides that, Christ does. So, it's, so he's the righteous judge. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. Now this is the royal crowns. The diadems on the royal. Not the Stephanos. Not the victor's crown. This is the ruling, the ruling diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called. 
is the word of God. Isn't that awesome? Think about the incarnate. The incarnate word in John 1, the word became flesh. So folks, the more we trust and obey God's holy, his sacred writings is the more like Christ will be. There's no other means of discipleship except that. We walk in the Spirit and we learn and live God's Word. That's how we become like Jesus. This Word in His name is... I love that. He is the Word become flesh, right? And now we have the Word written. The Word of God and, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen. That's us. We just got them at the marriage supper of the Lamb. White and pure. By the way, the fine linen that we have is granted. You can go back up and read it. It was granted. The idea of grace. None of us deserve a fine linen. But we're granted fine linen. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. Now, sometimes you'll see like sketches or paintings and they'll have some gargantuan sword like protruding out of the mouth of a returning. This has, you know what the word, I mean, it's, the sword is the word, right? Right? You check it, you know, you know, uh, sharper than two-edged sword, Hebrews 4.12. So it's literally, it's his word. And this, this, see, this isn't about, this isn't a long drawn out, but this is about Jesus speaking the word and it taking, but listen. So, and the word, and the, the armies gave it fine linen, white and pure, following him horses. From the mouth, from his mouth came a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. We'll have to come back to part two, okay, next Sunday. But let's keep reading. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. So the nations, the ethnoses, the ethnicities all over the world, he's going to rule the world. That's a literal kingdom. This fulfills the promise Gabriel made to Mary. When the angel said to Mary that Christ, this God, this child that she would bear, would rule from the throne of his father David, there would be a literal rule of this Messiah from Jerusalem. It didn't happen when he was here the first time. This is why, one of the reasons why Christ must come back. Because the Bible says, He's going to rule on this earth. And so he is. And, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. That appears several times in the prophets. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all. This is the word carry on. Is that the word birds that eat flesh? He called the birds. I should have written that down so I'd sound intelligent, I'm guessing, but I think the birds that fly directly overhead come gather for the great supper of God. Folks, this is vicious. This is God judging a sinful world. We'll read it. I'll give you, I think there's seven of them I wrote down. We'll talk about them next Sunday. So let's read this last. Come, gather for these birds. Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings. So all these bodies are going to be dead. And the, I, now there's going to be more than just one place. If you, we'll look at that next week. But the primary place that people visualize is the valley of, of Armageddon. This valley between the mountains that, that and it's 1600 stadia. It, it's several miles. So eat the, in blood to the ho- horse's uh, mouth, you know. So, so eat the flesh of, of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders. See, see, it's a military campaign. You have people that are sending other people, right? You have riders, and then you have the cap. So it's a military. It's a world. That's one of the things I'll say, Nick. It's, it's Jesus shows his authority over a worldwide military force. And it doesn't take but a second for it to happen. It says, over the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth, that the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth. Remember now, all these kings have, have bought in to, to the beast, to the Antichrist's political and spiritual program for the last, well, especially the last three and a half years. So they've sold out to him. And they've led their people along with the message from the false prophet. So the world has sold out to the, to the false, to the Antichrist. And what's the one thing we know when people sell out, what do they do? They take his mark, right? Remember? Remember, that's a, that's a ticket to hell in the tribulation to take the mark of the beast. It says in, so, and their armies gathered to, it says, and I, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet. So, the Antichrist and the false prophet are bound. They weren't eliminated physically. They were bound. Look what it says. Who in its presence had done the signs by which 
he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast. So the false prophet is so culpable for from a spiritual standpoint telling people that taking this mark of devotion to a fake Messiah is the right thing to do. So those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image these two, now going back to the beast and the false prophet, these two were thrown into the lake of fire. That's, that's the final culmination of hell. That's the second death, okay? You die and you go to hell. At the end of hell, it's thrown into the lake of fire. Thrown into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their, with their flesh. Now, folks, that is the battle of, uh, of Armageddon. And this is where Jesus Christ returns and decimates all the enemies. Let me just say something. I, we're, we're, we need to close. Folks, as wicked as our nation is, and as bizarre as a bizarro world, you and I, we're living in a bizarro world from three or four years ago. It is, you, you, you know, it's a, the one thing that I pray for and I'm not, I'm not a wise man. I, I don't know anything. But the one thing that has been our saving grace, and I'm just telling you this, is we still defend Israel. And God's covenant with Israel goes back to Genesis 12. And he told Abraham, I'll bless those. Because we, you know, we support them military. Not like we should now, but... But he says, I'll bless those who bless you. Because you've got to wonder, why hasn't God eliminated? Because we're not found in the book. America's not found. You can't figure out us in the book of Revelation. It's like we're not there. But right now, he says in Revel uh, Genesis 12, I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. I think one of our only saving graces right now is that... Um, is that we still support Israel. I think because of that, God's grace has, has still been on America to some degree, uh, even now. God's good, isn't he? The king is coming. Let's stand together. I just want to throw this out, and Ken's going to close us with a word of prayer before he prays. Just food for thought. If you study... Theology, there's your microphone, Brother Ken. If you study the theology of the Hebrews, people that got saved and Jewish people who studied the Scriptures, they divided all of man's history into three segments of 2,000 years. Now, those of us that know answers in Genesis, you know, we know from Adam to Abraham, 2,000 years. Abraham to Jesus, 2,000 years. Jesus to now, two, six. So, and they really believe this. There's great arguments for this. That human history on this earth 
is going to be 6,000 years. That's, and a day is 1,000 years, right? So that's six days. And the seventh day, which would be the 7,000th year, is the millennial kingdom when Christ will rule and we'll all be at rest with him, right? So they do that. There's great arguments for that. I like that. It's, it's a good way. But here's what's interesting. From a calendar standpoint, Jesus died about A.D. 32. Okay? The church was born, let's say, in maybe 33, 32. All right? So add 2,000 years to 32 or 33. 2000 now back up seven years there are a lot of scholars i'm not kidding you that know a lot more than me that are looking at 2025 that a lot of them are, are no matter what it could be another hundred years but i'm going to tell you what jesus is coming he's coming for his bride amen ken will you dismiss us with prayer Come give me this mic before I can be downstairs and afraid I fall off the stage. So, <laughs> but anyway, I'm Ken Maddox and I've been a member here for 36 years. I've been a Christian for 76 years. Amen. And the Lord has truly blessed me. I was thinking back in Sunday school today. We was talking about the uh, going right, and going wrong. When I found that mule is. Pa was left and G was right, and that was the right way to go. And I was thinking about that in my life. A lot of times back in the past, I went that left side and didn't <laughs> go right. So uh, we need to be thinking about all the things we do and continue to pray each day. And if there's someone in your life that hadn't accepted you, God is their Savior in Jesus Christ, we need to pray for them. And Invite other people to come to church and be with us. Now, Father, we thank you for all you do for us each day. Be with your church here at Redland. Be with Brother Bryce and his wife, Diane. Brother Walter and his wife, Allison. Be with our youth minister, Robert Stewart, and his wife. Just continue to be with them. Help them each day to reach out to anyone in need. And help us to do the same thing. All these things we ask in your holy name. Amen. Thank you.